Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Well, Coomer, it's prime time, baby. We got a 3.30 p.m. kickoff this weekend against Houston. And today we have Mr. Primetime himself, Mr. Athletic, Justin Williams. Great introduction for a very uh, a worthwhile introduction for a legendary guest. Justin Williams is back on the podcast this week to talk some hoops. Look, it's, we're getting close to basketball season. And I'll be, I'll full disclosure with the audience, the listeners. Um, we intended this to be kind of a dual podcast with Justin and also a little bit of a basketball preview on our own. We went so long with Justin that we thought it deserved a standalone. It's a great interview, really good conversation. Thank you again to Justin Williams for taking the time on election night to talk with us. Interesting time to do a podcast. I must admit, I thought we did a good job staying on topic and staying focused despite all of the information, analysis, data, hyperventilating around us. See, I'm going to be more truthful than Coomer. We were going to do a two-part episode, but not only did we do a nice 45 minutes with 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 Mr. Primetime, but I can't focus anymore. We got we got we got our civic duty. We voted today. We got an election going on. We're going to drop the the intro for our returning basketball players uh this weekend when you hear after once you once you hear the about the dominating performance of UC over Houston uh, we're going to give you some guys some basketball love some fodder some some stuff that you're going to love uh, love it Hummer. So, so stay tuned let's get into it and now Justin Williams of the Athletic we are now joined by staff writer at the Athletic everyone's favorite Bearcats beat reporter Justin Williams, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I don't know if you if you have the the science or the data to back up that claim, but I will I will take it and run with it. I appreciate it. I'm doing good, guys. How are you? I'm well. We're both doing well, and uh, science and data are not things that we need to make decisions. <laughs> so, moving on, Justin. Let's get into some Bearcats football and basketball talk. There is obviously plenty to chat about on that front. The first thing I wanted to ask you about, look. On this podcast, we don't talk much about who's in the stands, what UC is doing. Because, look, COVID is a real thing, and it makes sense that you would be uh, as cautious as as humanly possible in terms of this virus. But the Bearcats. I'm fairly disappointed with the turnout this year of the the fans. I'm fairly disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) But we. we did see that the Bearcats released a statement as it pertained to the Bearcats basketball team and, and, and what they were going to do with fans in the stands. But then I saw that you reported that this was apparently released on accident. So can you tell me how that happens and what happened exactly? Uh, I wish I could tell you how it happens. I'm sure uh, people who work at UC wish they could tell you how exactly it happened. You know, I don't know on, on their end everything that went down today, so I'm not going to, you know, direct blame anywhere or whatever. All I know is they, they sent out an email to season ticket holders this morning at about nine o'clock and there were kind of three main bullet points. And the first one was, you know, what? this, this will be podcast magic. I can actually pull it up and said, we will start the season without fans in fifth third arena. We will permit fans in the arena later in the season. Only if we determine it is safe and appropriate to do so, we are not holding to a time 
time frame on such a determination. Um, I know there's nothing more exciting on a podcast than reading a press release. But anyways, <laughs> so that was in there. Within hours, there were reports that um, AD John Cunningham had said that you know they were actually still exploring the possibility of having fans. The language on the press release that was posted on the GoBearCats.com uh, had changed and removed that part that I had just read. So, you know, I just spent a little time this afternoon making some calls and, and asking around. And, and basically the answer I got in the end was that was a mistake. The original language that was included uh, and, and kind of what was out there now that the idea that they're still exploring um, is, is kind of the way they want to move forward. Honestly, like I can't imagine a scenario at least to start the season, which remarkably is starting in three weeks. I don't see how they could have fans in fifth third arena to start the year when they're not going to have fans in Nipper stadium. So to me, it seems like you're just delaying the, like you're keeping people's hopes up to then crush them, you know, a a week from now or a week and a half from now, or, you know, if people are like, well, of course you're not going to have fans then you're just stringing them along again. I don't know why that was the case. um, But at least for the time being, uh, we do not have a, a final answer on whether there will be fans in the third arena to start the season, which goes right in line with the fact that we don't even know what the schedule is for, for basketball. And that's, that's not UC's fault. Um, trust me, that's, that has just a, you know, that's everything's fault. The, the current state of existence's fault, but uh, it's, it's kind of crazy that the basketball season is, you know, coming up here in a couple of weeks and we just don't have, have many details right now. Well, I think with with the uncertainty that goes with the scheduling, it's going with, uh, you know, fans in the stands. I think a lot of it also has to do with how the universities are interacting with the actual health departments of the cities that they're located in. Uh, So my wife is actually really involved with a local university and actually getting their athletics department up and running. And um, I might have mentioned her university's name on another podcast. Maybe not. So this could be breaking news, but anonymous. Yeah, well, I don't want to out the school yet, but they're canceling all all fall sports at this local university in Philly, and that's going to be be announced here in a little bit because of the regulations that are coming down from the Philly's health department. And they actually did give concessions because I know Temple, Villanova, and St. Joe's all threw fits about what what Philadelphia wanted them to do, which was daily testing for basketball players. Uh, NCAA regulation says you can do it every three days. Uh, but Philadelphia was also wanting to say any team that's playing outside of Philly, playing a Philly team also had to do daily testing. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of miscommunication, a lot of back and forth between these schools and the health departments. So not every school actually has their plan in place. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Villanova is not approved yet. Temple is not approved yet. St. Joe's is the only basketball program that is approved for basketball activities in the city of Philadelphia right now. So there's a lot that's going on. I think we're not really seeing behind the scenes that's going back and forth between John Cunningham, the UC's health experts and all of the other schools and saying, well, how are we actually gonna do this? And, and once they get those plans solidified, which they should, I'd imagine they're getting close to that. I think that's when we're gonna really see some more information about the schedule. Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't envy any, any of these university presidents, you know, athletic departments. We, I, you know, Chad, Brendel and I talked to John Cunningham I guess Monday, whenever people are listening to this and, you know, it's just think about the weird spot he's in. He's, he's got a, the number six football team in the country. Um, He's got a basketball team that was really finishing the year strong and the season gets cut short. And I know he's got a lot that he has to figure out. And uh, I'm sure that's, that can definitely be frustrating from a a fan perspective, but it's also like, it's a, it's not an envious situation that they're in right now. That's for sure. 
No. <laughs> well, Hummer, we joked a lot about uh, last year about having Dr. Hummer on the podcast because months months before the tournament was canceled, she was saying the tournament's going to get canceled. So this might be the season, given that COVID is still around and still very present in our lives. Dr. Hummer, a segment on the on the Cincy Slang and podcast. Yeah, I think though with her, you'll you'll. I think she can be biased. I'm gonna I'm gonna rag on my wife. I love her, <laughs> Julia. You're amazing. Uh, but but when it she comes doesn't down to, listen it, to this, there's no way she, she does not to listen this. to this. <laughs> but some of her friends' husbands do. So yeah, fair enough. Uh, but either way, uh, there's I think what people forget when they're talking about COVID in universities, and this is really important. And it it sucks that I'm gonna say it this way, but there you have to look at it from a perspective of there are schools where this is an actual revenue generating sport. There are other schools where this is not actual revenue driving sports. So that's where you're really looking at it. There is a divide. And I think you're going to get to the bottom of the barrel of some of these D1 schools. Like I forget the name of the school in, in uh, Orlando or, or um, uh, Daytona that recently canceled basketball. They were the first D1 school to say they're going to do it. You're going to see some of those schools at the very bottom D1 say, screw it. We're not going to do it this year. It costs us too much money. That's okay. You're not going to see the bigger programs doing that. There's, they're going to find a way to have it. And if it's not having fans in the stands, okay, let's do it. I'm not going to be upset. At least the Bearcats have a solid TV presence. I know living out here, at least I get to watch every game. Hopefully they, re- they loosen up some of the restrictions for blackouts in Cincinnati. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, cutting you off, dude. I'm cutting you off. We're not doing COVID anymore. I'm out. We're done. I'm, it off. I'm moving on. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> All right. I did want to ask you about this though, Justin. So John Brandon has this conversation with Dan Horde. They posted it online about what's happening with the schedule. He makes it seem like uh, the basketball schedule is mostly figured out at this point, but they are waiting on figuring out this tournament situation, which could be two to four games, depending on the school. He made it seem like UC wants two additional games from this. Are there any rumors or indications you can share about what that looks like or the schools that they're potentially uh, scheduling in that case? What it was last week that Matt Norlander of CBS Sports put out, um, I think it was UC and Loyola Chicago were planning something in in Indianapolis. Um, I have no reason to believe that Matt is incorrect in putting that out there. Uh, I think the fact that you haven't heard any other schools involved is, is not an accident either. And this goes back to, you know, not to get too behind the scenes, but when things were changing with the preseason NIT moving to Orlando or, you know, who is Cincinnati going to be playing in Orlando? Everything I was hearing from multiple different sources was like, you know, this is the plan right now, but you know, I wouldn't be rushing to put anything out there as reported confirmed information because I think people knew maybe not that all of this ESPN bubble stuff in Orlando was going to get just flat out canceled, but they knew everything was still up in the air that teams could, you know, bag out and, and, you know, try and make their own MTEs or, or just go somewhere different. And so uh, I think, you know, the fact that Norlander put that out there, that what he put out is probably pretty solid, um, Loyola Chicago and, and Cincinnati in Indianapolis. But uh, I don't think it's an accident that we don't have much other information because it's probably not finalized yet. And as with everything else, like there's n- no reason why that couldn't fall apart in a day or, you know, oh, hey, actually, Loyola gets invited to come play at this MTE, you know, at a different location. And they do that. You know, John told me a couple weeks ago, uh, there's no contracts on this stuff. You're basically kind of just, you know, good faith agreements with people. Yeah. And so um, Zoom spit shaking, I guess. I don't know. But so it's just. <laughs> right. Hard. Spit you know, shaking's out. Spit shaking's yeah. out. 
<laughs> Let's not go down the rabbit hole of contracts and, and games here. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, you know, they're, they're kind of like you almost don't know the game's going to happen until you show up and, and tip it off. So uh, I know that, that they're working on it. I know the basketball team and the athletics department is, is working to get all this stuff finalized. Um, but I, I think it's just one of those things where because there's so much unknown with protocols and as far as I know, UC doesn't know the exact dates of their conference schedule yet. So like, how can they totally finalize um, their non-conference stuff? I think it's just one of those things that everything I've been hearing is when it happens, it's going to happen really fast. And we haven't gotten to the, the point where it starts yet. Let's just get some outdoor games going, you know, outdoor dining seems to be acceptable. Let's get, let's get some, some street ball going. And I, and I, I actually was aware of the Loyola, uh, the news on the Loyola front. I must I must have blocked that out the same way I blocked out the 2018 NCAA tournament out of my brain. I just, it's all the same for me. I just want to forget about it all. So um, let's, we're going to talk a little bit more about basketball before we jump into the football team, which is obviously the the biggest news in Cincinnati right now. So let's, I wanted to ask you a more, this conversation with Brandon, I thought was a bit revealing. There's not a ton of information. He's super good, by the way, at not revealing any information. So respectfully, I listened to the podcast you and Brendo got to do with Brandon and you asked these great, you both asked these great questions to get information. He's outstanding at telling you nothing. Um, Him and Luke Luke both, honestly. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. They're very Um, good at telling you what they want you to know. (laughs) Which again, nothing. So, Mm -hmm. but he did, he did let slip that, that Zach Harvey, is not practicing right now or, or has not practiced in an official capacity at the time of this recording. There are people we know kind of close to the team who had said that before this Harvey was actually practicing and he's going at it aggressively with Keith Williams showing out pretty well, looking really good. Um, you know, blood was boiling even in these practices. So what's the situation with Harvey in terms of not practicing officially? Um, and Brandon kind of alluded vaguely to it's other things is, is he kind of in his own head with this ankle? Is it is it actually another injury? Is it potentially non-injury related at all? Do you have any information on that front? Uh, yeah, as far as I know, it has nothing to do with the ankle. Um, what I would feel comfortable saying is I don't think it's a long-term concern. Um, I don't know how I would classify it other than that, but he might have even since when, when was that Friday? I think when they, when they did that video, uh, he may well have started practicing um, fully since then or, or, or working himself back. But yeah, on, on that front, uh, you know, I realize we're getting close to the season, but everything I've heard, it's not a, uh, it's not a long-term concern. Did you, have you heard similar things? I don't know if you've heard anything in practice in terms of, you know, you kind of get a lot of coach speak. He, he likes the team. He likes the chemistry. You know, he's really impressed with the freshmen. And I think we all expected that going into the season, given what we had heard about these guys. But it, from what you're hearing, are there guys that are completely jumping off the page at practice where their play on the court is just exceeding expectations? Is Harvey one of those guys, at least in the the unofficial practice capacity? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it, you, whether it's John or really anyone else, I think, you know, sometimes there's things they don't say, but what they do say is telling. So we've only heard good things about Mikey Saunders pretty much since the team came back this summer. There's a reason for that. I think he's played really well. Uh, we've heard only glowing, gushing things about David DeJulius. Uh, again, you know, I, I think there's there's reason for that. Um, the the freshman would definitely be included in that, but like 
you know, I think Gabe Madsen's going to be a really good player, but when you hear coach or anyone talk about, well, Mason's looking really good. I don't know that that means Mason's playing better than Gabe. I think Mason's playing better than, than probably they expected him this soon early on. Uh, so the silence doesn't mean someone's playing bad or, or is doing poorly. Like if you don't hear a bunch about rap or vote or, you know, Keith Williams, I don't, I don't think that means that they're struggling, but I think when they say like, Oh yeah, you know, Zach came in and he was in great shape and seemed really healthy. Like they're, they're kind of telling you something there. The thing though, and I do know this is true just from talking to John, you know, he, he, he says this and he means it he doesn't know he's not going to know until he sees these guys play someone else. And that, you know, the trouble with some of the stuff is they can't really do these secret scrimmages that they do every year that are not at all secret. We can't have these exhibitions, even against like Thomas Moore or something like that. We're, we're really not going to know what they look like against someone else until whenever this first game is announced. So I think his hesitation um, in revealing even just like, Oh, how's the team looking is that, you know, he's genuinely not sure he can say, I've been coaching basketball for 25 years and I know that, you know, Gabe Madsen is, is shooting the ball like crazy in practice and that David Julius is in great shape and uh, that Mike Adams Woods is playing good defense, but there's that little doubt in the back of his head is like, well, you know, let me see it against someone else or let me see it, you know, when the, the bullets are live, so to speak. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I just, I think that's the, the biggest thing is he's, he's never going to make a declarative statement until, he kind of gets the evidence uh, on the floor, but uh, you know, he made that, that joke to Dan, which wasn't really a joke, but how he, he said the same thing to us on media day. He usually hates his team at this point. And I think he's a little worried about the fact that he doesn't. Um, but I think that's a reflection of these are, you know, almost exclusively, these are guys he, he brought to the team, you know, Mamadou and, and Keith are still there and he likes Mamadou and Keith. It's not like he, he wants to, to run them off by any means, um, but it's a team that he, while it's still in short order, he's put them together and it's a lot of new faces. This is his recruits. This is his transfers. So I think we're, we're starting to get a little bit more to the basketball he wants to play. It's Very amazing. Yeah. Real quick, Hummer. It's amazing what you can pick up though, from if you come, if you pair the comments from Brandon with those, I mean, more or less hype videos from the Bearcats themselves of practices. I know they're just clips they're taking, but you can learn things from them and just it, in observing how the practice is playing out in, in their short clips, but Brandon specifically speaks to the fact that Gabe is struggling with defense. And when you watch these videos, he's very much struggling with the physicality of some of the other players on the team. And you can just see even a different level of aggression from uh, Mason Madsen, as opposed to his brother, Gabe. So coming into the season, you're expecting Gabe to be the instant contributor. He's got better size. He's, you know, I quote unquote, a better prospect. But it looks, you know, you see Mason popping three-pointers from all over the court, launching shots constantly in, in the practice setting. So it, it does sound like, you know, those kind of things are adding up when you when you pair the clips with the Brandon comments. Now, have, they had, have you, you and the other, you know, beat writers, reporters, have you guys have access to practice or is that something they've kind of closed off uh, because of our current environment? Well, we don't ever have access to practice anyways under Brandon. He's, he's very strict about that, but yeah, certainly even, you know, even if there was something we could come in and see whether it be a shoot around or something like that, that's not happening right now. Um, we've been able to watch a little bit of football practice from a, you know, from a distance because we're outside and not getting close to anything, but no, we won't, we won't be able to get in and, and see any basketball before the season starts either. So we're kind of just, you know, relying on, on what we're hearing. And, and yeah, I mean, those, 
I'm not going to say I sit down in Zapruder film, break down those, those hype videos they put out, but it, I do. <laughs> it is like the only real look you get into, you know, to some of that stuff. So, so you do have to kind of get what you can from it for sure. But, but shout out to the athletic department. They are vastly improved from the prior season. Like they are doing really great things with that, where it makes you excited as a fan to watch the players, to see their interviews, to get to know them. So I'm happy we have them. I am breaking them down like a Zabruder film. I'm <laughs> I'm making lots of judgments based on what I see in terms of body language, in terms of who's putting up the shots. And they're probably uh, often sometimes, but I think you can learn some things. Coomer sends the tape over to NBA scouts and says, hey, help me break this down. Show me what we're seeing here. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this last question on basketball before, before we move to football. In terms of what one question about the team I am interested in is how they juggle the front court rotation. I think in terms of how you see the backcourt playing out, it's it's much more easy to see who's in the lead for minutes, basically, right? David DeJulius is already getting raved about. His talent was unquestionable. He has a pedigree of playing at Michigan. It's pretty clear that he's going to be the starting point guard. Keith Williams is Keith Williams. And then you got Micah and Zach Harvey kind of picking up the pieces. Don't sleep on Micah. I think Micah's going to outplay Zach consistently, just based on what we saw last season. Um, but in the front court, you've got Chris Vogt returning, a, a John Brandon carryover from Northern Kentucky, a a polarizing player from the past season, given how he produced early in the season versus how it fared in conference play. I'm probably more bearish. There's other people who are more bullish. Brandon's saying his passing's improved, but he's brought in Rapolis. He's brought in uh, Tari Eason, and then you have a rising Mamadou Diara. Any indications in terms of who you've talked to as to how he's seen that front court rotation playing out? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'll be shocked if whenever the, the first game is, if it's not rap and, and vote kind of starting at the at the four and, and five spots. But we'll see. You know, I think it'll probably be matchup based depending on what the other teams are against. If they need someone who's quick and active at the, the head of a press or, or a zone or something, I think you're going to see Mamadou play a lot. Uh, you know, we saw at the end of last year, Mamadou was – playing crunch time minutes down the stretch in large part because the way he was playing ball screens um, and protecting the rim. So, you know, uh, John Brandon is not someone who has a, a rotation um, and, and kind of a set minutes, you know, schedule, and he's going to stick to that no matter what, if if they get in games and they're playing better with Mamadou at the five or, um, you know, or, or vote at the five, like he'll go with that. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting too. I think I wrote about this, but Mamadou kind of, um, let slip at the end of last year when he was in the game, Trey was playing five and he was playing the four just because he was more comfortable there. I, you know, he might, he's going to play the four some, he's going to play the five some, and sometimes that stuff doesn't matter, but like he's going to have to learn to play the five and be comfortable in whatever the responsibilities are of that this season. So, you know, that'll be determining it. Can he get in there and, and play alongside rap or play alongside Tari and be able to rebound and kind of be that defensive present on the inside. To me, that's the biggest thing is the rebounding and, and just on ball defense you lose from Trey Scott. You know, who's, who's going to replace that? Is it going to be a by committee thing? Um, is, is someone going to step up and I don't expect them to average double digit rebounds, but is someone going to try and, you know, kind of fill what, what Trey gave you there? So I think it'll be a lot of testing it out. Um, and, and I do think it'll be matchup based, especially early on in the season, just, you know, where, where they match up best with in terms of who's playing in the, in the front court. It's going to so be hard to not- keep Mamadou off the court, baby. It's going to be hard to keep him off the court. I'm all about the Mamadou. 
Uh, Sorry, so while so while you're not breaking down the hype videos, what about this scene season, this team gets you hyped up? Like what are you looking for that's from from the booth when you're when you're when what's gonna make you break professionalism? <laughs> like what gets you excited about this team? Nothing. I, I mean, I don't know if that's a, here. I'll, the people people at home won't see this, but I'm I'm rocking my Ohio University um, sweatshirt. <laughs> Maction starts to Wednesday night, so I'm not too worried about breaking professionalism. Um, no matter what happens, I, I do think it's really interesting, though. Uh, you know, I, I think there's kind of a handful of things you can look at. How quick do these these transfers wrap and, and David? How quick do they acclimate and and kind of you know become a big part of the team and contributors. Mm-hmm. Zach Harvey and Keith Williams, are they able to take the next step? We've seen Keith do it, you know, in moments last season, the, the 30 points against South Florida, the overtime against ECU. Is he able to do that on a consistent basis, start to finish? Uh, Zach, will he be able to feel healthy and, and take that next step forward? And then, you know, the freshmen, everyone's really excited about them and they should be. But my kind of question is, are they going to be a luxury or are they going to be needed? Can you put Gabe in to fire up some threes and, and make some shots off the bench as kind of like this microwave heater player who can give you some some bench points? Or are they going to need his outside shooting in the same way they needed Javens last, last year? I think you definitely want it to be more of the luxury as opposed to them leaning on these guys. Same way with Tari. Tari's super talented. He's going to be a great player. But can he be – the seventh or eighth guy off the bench, you know, to start the year to help you out? Or are you, you know, is he threatening to start? Not because he's playing so great, but because you, you just need someone with his desperate. talent in there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, th- that changes as the season goes along. Um, but, you know, I, I am very interested to see what Keith Williams does. You know, he did that interview with us on Media Day, and I, I wrote about this. I won't say I know Keith well, but I feel like I've gotten to know him much better of these past couple of years. And I've never, he's never done an interview like that. He was confident. He was laid back. He was relaxed. He seemed, you know, comfortable with who he was as a basketball player. And, you know, yeah, it might change once the, the game start and the season starts, but that to me is a good sign. He's not going to be the the vocal leader, which I think is why they brought in rap and, and David Julius. But if he can kind of just be that on court steady presence, that's that's a great sign for you see and he he looked that part at least in, in the media day interview well one of the more disappointing things about jaron cumberland's se- senior season and this is not to say it was a disappointment but there is a history of bearcats four-year bearcats staying and taking this incredible leap their senior season you know Kenyon, steve logan kilpatrick a lot of these guys have just gone on to have a kind of ascendant senior year that kind of leaves a mark forever in terms of their legacy um trey scott Trey Scott did it and Jaron Cumberland didn't. Hmm. So that's kind of the wild card element to this team. There's plenty of them. There's a lot of reasons to be excited if you're a fan like Hummer and I and not a distinguished reporter like yourself <laughs> um, that you would that you'd be excited. But one of them is if Keith Williams comes back and has one of these Bearcat-esque senior years where he plays absolutely the best basketball of his career, that's going to be a huge factor in us reaching the levels we think we can read it reach exceeding the expectations of the likes of John Rothstein and Andy Katz. I do. Uh, you know, I think you saw there were moments where they almost had to get him involved last year because, you know, Jaron is such a, a ball dominant player and, and that was what they needed a lot of times. And that was great. But in those moments where they either had to get him involved or when, you know, he was the, the main guy because Jaron was out, 
I think it was really encouraging the way he responded. And I don't expect him to drop 30 every night the way he did against South Florida. But if he goes into a game knowing, you know, all right, I'm, I'm the guy who I'm not going to have the ball in my hands 30% of the time the way Jaron did, but I am going to have it 20% of the time, which is more than the past. Uh, I think he will embrace that situation. And, and some guys are more comfortable in that kind of third or fourth role on the team. I, I think Keith will really enjoy being kind of the, the main guy. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for him because the way this, this team is, is constructed, you know, like you mentioned it with Jaron, the team has kind of had to be constructed around him, the type of player he is. But, you know, one of the things we've heard is that Chris vote has vastly improved his passing abilities from, from being down low. And if that's the case, you're going to get a, I think you're going to see Keith Williams with a lot more open looks because we do have a lot of shooters that are, that are capable of, of, of destroying teams this year. So I, that's what I'm looking forward to Sue is Keith getting the ball more, but also being open on more of those shots as well. The last 10 minutes of that South Florida game was sex. Let's just say, it. <laughs> let's just say it. Keith Williams got the ball. No Jaron Cumberland in the game. No Chris vote in the game. A lot of shooting. Absolute euphoria. So here, this is a, we talked about not having science and data. This is purely anecdotal from me watching every minute of every game, you know, especially the past two seasons. There have been so many times where it feels like they're down nine or eight or seven with, you know, less than 10 minutes left and Keith hits a three. And when you go back and like, look at it, that was a turning point in the game. Like, I feel like that has happened four to eight times just in the past two years and I'd have to go back through the box scores and play by play to actually map that out. But there just are so many times where it feels like he makes the play that turns around these, you know, numerous comebacks they've had. And again, I, I just don't think that's an accident. I think there are players like that and, and he just seems like one of them. I agree. Let's transition to football here. We've got the six ranked team in the country coming off an absolute beatdown of Memphis a game that I, I kind of I felt comfortable going into just based on what we had seen against SMU, uh, but it certainly exceeded expectations being a 49-10 blowout. Let me ask you this, Justin, to kick things off about football. The Bearcats went 21 days without playing a game, and they were coming off three games for Des Ritter where fans are calling for benching, and there's, there's just questions about what he's going to do this season. And is he the guy, is he going to be the reason the Bearcats don't achieve the heights that fans and even coaches think they can reach what happened in those 21 days to kind of just completely revamp his play at this point against SMU and Memphis. He's been out of this world. Uh, yeah. I honestly don't think it was, there was any like, you know, switch that flip for him. I don't, I don't know that there was anything different because, and you know, I had said this, Chad had said this, Dan Horde, you know, people that are, are, are watching um, the team, you know, we've been saying even all off season, Des won the job, you know, in, in camp. Des has been outperforming Ben Bryant in practice. Um, and so when everyone was saying like, yeah, Des is playing terrible in the game, they need to, they need to go to Ben. I, I didn't disagree that Des was playing poorly, but imagine if you're a coach and you're watching every day in practice where Des is just outperforming Ben Bryant, it's hard to then say, all right, Ben, you know, you go in there when we haven't necessarily seen you play above what he's done in practice. So uh, I think he was playing really well or felt like he was playing really well in practice. I think the biggest difference for him, and, and this has just really borne itself out the past two weeks, he's a confidence player. And so these, you know, especially that first drive against SMU, I, I just thought was a great game plan where, yeah, he took off and scrambled a couple of times, but they, they basically just devised these, 
three to eight yard passes that they knew were going to be wide open and could maybe, you know, spring for a couple of yards after the catch. But like, all you got to do is just complete these and, and we'll kind of keep the chains moving and get down there. And I, I can't remember, maybe they didn't, I don't I can't remember if they scored on the first drive against Memphis or it was the second drive, but they basically just early in the game, they've made sure you're going to be feeling good. You're going to have opportunities to, to get some positive yardage and get first downs. And I don't think it's as simple as like, all right, I have a good first one or two drives. We score. I'm a good player versus we struggle on the bad player. But like he threw that terrible pick against USF right off the bat, second pass of the game. And in the SMU game, he, the second and third plays of the game, he scrambles and, and picks up a first down. To me, though, that right there is kind of like a microcosm of, He's, his confidence is really good. He's feeling good in these last two games. For whatever reason, it wasn't there in the first three games. And I think part of it is game plan. I think part of it is he realized I can outrun pretty much everyone on the field. Why am I not doing that? Um, and and the team started calling more plays, you know, to that end. Uh, and there was probably a little bit of desperation. You know, I, I think, you know, those, those three weeks went by and he realized like, all right, if I come out here and I suck against SMU or we're down at halftime like I might lose my job and so I think that all those combinations of things really just helped him turn it around and I think he's just building off the confidence that he's had the past two weeks so you you don't know of necessarily a concerted effort to say hey Des use your legs more because there was it didn't seem like he was as eager to scramble or scramble early in the season um or, or necessarily like maybe, hey, we're not going to go intermediate or deep anymore or as frequently. We're going to lean on the short passing like you mentioned before. You don't know necessarily any, any explicit changes like that from a coaching standpoint. I haven't heard anything about that. Now, maybe, you know, in the meeting rooms, they were like, what the heck are you doing? You got to take off more. Or, you know, just look at the way they're calling plays. They've called a lot more, you know read options or, or RPOs past couple of weeks, but he's also just taken off and scrambled a couple more times. So I'm sure there were some conversations about it because when Des has been at his best, he's, he's been able to, to beat teams with his legs. You know, maybe he's throwing the ball well that game too, but like how many backbreaking 20 yard scrambles has he had over the past couple of years? So whether it was him internally just recognizing it or someone sitting down with him and saying it, I'm not sure, but there's obviously been a more concerted effort to that the past two games. And, and I think that's a good thing. And I think you saw it was mainly legs against SMU, mainly him scrambling. I think what you saw against Memphis, he only had 41 yards, but he had two touchdowns. He picked up a couple, you know, first downs or just big key scrambles. And then he was able to, you know, marry that with, with the pass game. That's when he's really at his best, when his, the threat of him running is what helps open things up for him in the pass game or, or in, you know, with running backs and running too. Well, that's something we definitely, we definitely noticed and pointed out too, because SMU, what was it, like 10, 10 runs, 179 yards, something absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but even though he wasn't, as effective, I guess you could say on the ground with 10 runs, I think 41 yards this past weekend, it, it allowed the, the running backs this time. It allowed Dokes and Ford to, to really open up the field. It allowed the passing game to, to excel more. We actually, I thought we did really good through the air the past, uh, especially this past game against Memphis. Uh, you know, so I think you're, you're spot on the money there. When he runs, he creates that extra element that teams have to prepare for. And it's just really hard to stop a quarterback like that, especially in the college game. So the, the most recent article you dropped here was about the defense exceeding Marcus Freeman's expectations, which is remarkable considering it seemed like all the preseason hype that came from not only fans, but 
Luke Fickle seemed to know this had, was going to be a potentially special team relative to what the Bearcats are used to. Um, can you kind of highlight maybe some of the big things that are jumping out, you know, from that piece with Marcus Freeman about uh, why the defense is achieving the heights they're achieving so far? Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know whether they're uh, exceeding Marcus Freeman's expectations or not. I think the defense is exceeding my expectations and, and Marcus Freeman has exceeded my expectations, which I'll be honest, were already, I thought about as high as they could go. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't, I don't know that I could have possibly thought more of, of Marcus Freeman before the past two weeks, but then he goes out and, <laughs> you know, drops those games and it's like, man, this guy is unbelievable. Um, in terms of why it's happening. I mean, we thought they were going to be good and they're good. So it's not like it's a complete shock, maybe in the way it was two years ago, you know, the 2018 season where uh, the, the big reason they won 11 games is because they have a top 10 defense kind of out of nowhere. Uh, but I think the, the ability Darian Beavers made this quote after the game on, on Saturday, like if you screw up on a play, it might not be fatal. Like you could miss your assignment. You could, you know, take the wrong read, take the wrong angle, whatever. But because this defense is so good, all the other, 10 or, you know, nine of, of the other guys are going to play their assignment perfectly. And, and they're kind of basically kind of make up for it. But I do think you see, so we knew the defensive line was, was going to be good, but my Jay Sanders has gone to another level. Elijah Ponder, like there's a reason the advanced metrics PFF numbers on him are great. Even if he doesn't always make the flash plays, like he's doing every ounce of dirty work you could possibly want someone to do on the field. And then guys like, every week it seems like Malik Van makes a tackle for a loss in the backfield, you know, and he's one of eight guys rotating in on that defensive line. Like that's huge. Uh, we knew the secondary was going to be good and they are, you know, I wrote that piece about Wiggins last week because I was kind of like, what's where's Wiggins at? Is he totally all the way back? And, and, you know, I talked to Marcus and he was like, yeah, you know, teams aren't even going after him. That's how good he is. Sauce has been great. Um, you know, I think sometimes teams go after Kobe Bryant, who's on that, I guess, field side just because that's like the, the the best option for them and he's played really well it's not like he's gotten burned or anything like that so that just shows how difficult it is but the linebackers have been the big surprise you know I think we thought Jarrell was going to be a big piece and play well he's been the best player on that defense my job's catching up to him the past couple of weeks but in my opinion he's been the best player on the defense this season and, and I don't know if I expected that Joel DeBlanco has been really good and, you know, in the middle. And I think everyone wondered how they would replace Brian Wright. And he stepped in and he's a totally different player, but he's been really, really solid. And Darian Beaver is a guy who I think got lost a lot, a lot last year. And, and he showed up and, and played a lot better in his second year in the system. So I don't think there's like a smoke and mirrors or, or any magic trick that Freeman has pulled. Uh, but I think he's got a really deep defense. I think he, coaches and preaches for them to play fast and play instinctively and he's got players that have done that and it's it's just showing you know everything good that we thought about them is true but they've even gone a couple steps above that and it just shows how how talented and, and well coached they are one thing hummer and i talked about a couple weeks ago and i don't know how much of a chance you've had to talk to some of the maybe national writers on staff or even reading about it reading about it is the fact that it's, it's a big deal that the Bearcats are ranked this highly this early in the season. And to me, it plays in our favor that we have such a wacky COVID-infected year for college football. Uh, so long as you keep your team healthy and they stay on the field, it, the chaos is good for the Bearcats, uh, a, a group of five team that is not going to necessarily get the, the due that we may think we deserve as one of those outer teams. What are you hearing? Um, you know, I'll compare it to, to Central Florida a few years back. 
are we, are the Bearcats actually getting more buzz earlier in the season as a group of five team? And do you see that playing in our favor in terms of getting considered legitimately for the playoff? Let's say an undefeated season happens. Yeah. I mean, I think they definitely benefited from the SEC starting even a couple weeks later, the big 10, obviously starting later the PAC 12 hasn't even played yet, but you know, if, USC and Oregon and, and these teams are playing maybe that that's just less attention that Cincinnati is going to get but honestly it's it was really the last two weeks and really this game against Memphis you know SMU's a team on the rise but people know Memphis is a good program and they know they're a good team they saw them you know put up 50 in that UCF game a couple weeks ago and and so then to turn around and see the way UC just pummeled them I mean, you know, I know people on our staff, national writers definitely like started, you know, reaching out to me a little bit more and, and asking questions and being like, oh, so, so these guys are, are for real. Uh, so I think it definitely helps that it's been a weird season and, and the way teams have played less games and all that kind of stuff. But I also just think it's this team's really good. And maybe that wasn't totally clear, even after they beat what, what I think is a good army team or, you know, didn't play well, but still beat USF really well. But after the last two weeks, you know, people that follow college football know how good those SMU and and SMU offense wasn't just how good of a program Memphis is. And to see how easily UC handled them, maybe they wouldn't be sixth if everyone was playing a normal season, but this would be a top 15 team, you know, I think regardless. So there's definitely the benefits of that, but it's also just, this is a really good, team and it's they're probably benefiting from uh, the weird season that we're having in terms of the attention but I think they would be up near the top anyways how how do you feel about the all-state college football playoff predictor uh, did you happen to see the uh, the predictor giving out the stats of, of all everybody's chances of making the playoffs and uh Sadly, they didn't have Cincinnati on there as even having a, a single percentage point chance of making the playoffs. This was uh, immediately after the victory uh, against Memphis, but they had teams like Wisconsin, you know, who hasn't played a game, who's not playing again this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> They've had, they had two PAC 12 teams. Once again, seven game schedules. Like, I, I don't understand what's, what's your thoughts on that? Like should teams, should you be penalized for really only playing seven games? I think we will see that, you know, I'll, I guess we'll see how, how the season goes. Maybe if, if USC or Oregon just, you know, run the table at seven and zero and look awesome, they'll get the benefit of the doubt, but it, there's, there's a lot of math obviously involved and it's definitely a committee thing, but outside influence, it, it, it matters with all this. So I think even if the narrative is, Oh, UC's playing great, but they're never going to get the respect they deserve from, you know, the college football playoff and the committee, that will influence the college football playoff. I think people are going to read that and, and see that kind of stuff. So uh, I am interested to see, you know, once it all kind of shakes out how it goes, you know, it's, it's worked out well for them in a big 12 sense. Um, and it seems to kind of be angling, you know, I don't think they would jump Clemson if Clemson loses to Notre Dame, but if Notre Dame loses to Clemson, they're, they're probably going to be in the top five if they can take care of business against Houston. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting. They, if they finish 11 and 0 and beat UCF on the road and, and win the, the conference title game, they will be in the conversation. There will be someone like with steam coming out of their ears on ESPN saying UC deserves to be in this college football playoff, whether they get in or not. Uh, and that's really all you can ask for. I think at this point, because, you know, let's be honest, it's, it's Clemson, 
you know, Alabama, Ohio State, and then maybe like an LSU type team from last year. There, there's a there's an upper echelon. But I, you know, Georgia, Notre Dame, maybe you'd give them a little bit of an edge just, you know, talent-wise against Cincinnati. But what other teams would you feel like UC couldn't at least match up against well in a one-game situation? Um, I don't know that there's anybody else this season. And people that follow it pay attention and, and know that. And they, they're also going to read all the stuff about Cincinnati's not getting the respect they deserve and it might actually help them get some of that respect. Well, college football, it's, it's moved to this offense running gun, uh, fun and gun style of football. I think it actually plays to the benefit of Bearcats when you compare them to other group of five teams in, in history who wanted to be in the playoff, having a great defense that athletically can match up and that, that analysts and experts think can match up. I think that might actually be to their, their, um, credit in terms of getting in the playoff because in the past it seems like these teams were kind of quirky offensive you know creative teams that are that are overachieving based on the talent they have it feels like the Bearcats it looks like hey we've got really good talent we've got players who have developed within this program and a coaching staff that 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 puts all of them in the best position possible I don't know I'm biased 100 I'm, I'm I could hear it as I'm talking I'm like wow I just sound like I just sound like a Cincinnati Bearcat fan, but to me, there's, there's going to be a case to be made if we can go undefeated and it feels more and more likely that that's going to happen. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it in terms of putting any group of five team in, uh, you know, uh, an 11 and 0 Cincinnati team included this season, but you know, there's going to be someone on the committee who's like, we put in Oklahoma with their, you know, 50 point a game Heisman trophy winners and they go out and get smoked. Why not put in, Cincinnati who very well could get smoked you know we saw how they played against Ohio State last year like that could happen uh, you know in in a college football playoff situation but there's gonna be somebody making that argument and you know I don't know that they're that that's a bad one so so we'll see but as you know I don't want to put on my my Luke Fickle mask here but like they got to get there first. <laughs> it's on. they got to beat mine's on <laughs> they got to beat yeah. UCF on the road you know that they they gotta not go to uh, Philadelphia where, where Homer is and where they've always played terrible and, and, you know, lay a bomb against uh, temple. They, they got to be 11 and 0 to be in that conversation, but it's they're going to be playing in that gigantic empty professional college or professional college. The Eagles are basically a professional college team at, at <laughs> two, five and one this season, uh, winning their, winning their division, mind you. Uh, I mean, there's definitely some, that's what I love about our schedule though. It's tough. It's challenging, and I think that's where we don't get enough recognition. I think our our schedule this year was just as tough, uh, if not tougher, than than the Ohio State schedule. You know, if I'm looking at at Ohio State's and who they're playing, you got Indiana. Penn State's no longer ranked, and then they got Michigan. No one else on that schedule is ranked. Uh, Indiana was ranked the same as what SMU was by when we played them, and uh, Army is is ranked number 22. Memphis is right on the outside of it. Houston's up there. UCF. These are all tough games. And I don't think we get enough – I don't think the AAC gets enough credit for having an actual conference that's, for the most part – there's a couple, I think, bottom feeders, but, you know, we're a pretty even conference until you get to the – I think the very, very top, we have some some elite competition that can play and hang around with these these bigger conferences. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 you can say the same in basketball. It's better top to bottom, the, the conferences, for sure. The, you know, the middle and bottom of the conference – is, is much better than it was in years past. If, if I'm, you know, taking truth serum, it's probably still the, the sixth best conference, you know, which is, which is what they are. I don't, I don't know that it's better than, you know, 
is it better than the ACC without Notre Dame this year when it's it's just a top-heavy Clemson? Eh, maybe. Um, but I do think there is, you know, where – if UC goes 11-0 this year, people ask what would they have gone in, in the SEC or, or the Big Ten or whatever. Probably not 11-0, you know, maybe not 11-0, I don't, whatever, whatever they're playing, I don't know. But it's – I don't think that the gap between – those those conferences between six and you know whatever the ones above them are is nearly as big as it was just a couple of years ago. Yeah, you I think to, that's I think that's key. You love to see it. Well, Justin, <laughs> I'm not I'm not. <laughs> look, it's 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 ending quickly for me in terms of uh, how much longer I can stay focused on Bearcats football and basketball. I want to leave you with with uh, one kind of final question, and it's kind of twofold. So we all have heard the news about Greg Marshall and the fact that he's clearly, he's got a record of, I mean, he's got former players on the record about mistreating them physically, verbally. Um, John Brandon used to play for Greg Marshall as an assistant coach. So as soon as the news came out, I went back and, and looked at press conferences pregame of Wichita state to see if John Brandon ever talked about Greg Marshall to see if there's any sort of, uh, insight there again i look at all these clips like zabruder films do you, have you heard or has anybody asked john brandon about it since and another I'm, i guess i'm asking for a prediction is greg marshall going to be coaching wichita state heading into the season so to the first part i mean uh, i know they have john and, and greg have a, a good relationship you know he talked uh late last season you know, I don't know if, I guess it came, you know, right before John's dad passed away, which was before that last road trip. Uh, I think the last home game was Wichita state in fifth third arena. And John made a comment that like Greg had asked about his dad cause he had watched film and saw his dad, you know, behind the bench and at times didn't look great. And he was hoping to see him and he couldn't be there. John's dad couldn't be there for that game. So there's definitely a, you know, a connection there and yeah, you know, he, he played for him. So I, I don't, I never took it as a situation of like, the way John, you know, his relationship is with Billy Donovan or, or Anthony Grant, um, or even like, you know, Coach G, who's who's obviously on staff now. Uh, I didn't take it that way necessarily, but I do I do think they had a good relationship. I have not talked to John about it since this happened. I don't know that he certainly has answered anything about it on the record. So um, maybe at some point we'll get some answers there. We, we just haven't yet. As far as a prediction, I don't know. That's a weird situation there with, you know, the – you know, not to get too into the weeds, but the Coke money and in Wichita and all that kind of stuff. And there's been plenty of stories, you know, how come Greg Marshall never ended up going to Kansas or, you know, taking any bigger job than, than Wichita State. Part of it, I think, is because he was paid very handsomely to stay at Wichita and, and did really well there. Um, but this is not the first time Greg Marshall's, you know, been in the news or his family's been in the news, um, you know, for, for one thing or another, this is a lot different, obviously. And, and there's an investigation going on and, and it's, it's certainly serious stuff, but it just, you know, Will Wade still coaches at, at LSU. And I realize it's not, you know, we're, we're not talking about necessarily abuse situations there or Rick Patino is going to be coaching Iona this year. Like, I'll believe Greg Marshall is out at, at Wichita State when you know when I get Sean Miller's still at Arizona. Let's let's yeah. remember. <laughs> Sean Miller. No, and you could you could extend it to college football too. Like this is you know I guess whether or not he stays at, at uh, Wichita State, I certainly don't think that'll be the last time we see Greg Marshall on a on a sideline. Um, and that's not me advocating for that by any means either. I just uh, I kind of got to see it before I believe that'll be the case. 
Justin, I love how you strategically place the, hey, this is serious. As soon as I started cackling, <laughs> you remind folks that, hey, Kummer's cackling. Well, this is an extremely serious situation. I mean, uh, you know, we, we all know about his his wife and screaming at Pat Forty and all that stuff. And that's and that's one thing. This is this is right. a little bit different, but it's that's what I was laughing part at. Part of this. Yes. It's all part of the same uh, same story, I guess. Well, definitely interesting times. Justin, we appreciate you doing this on election night. I must admit, when I booked this with you, I completely forgot that today was election day. And uh, maybe I'll want to forget it after this too. But this was uh, a happy distraction for me. So I appreciate appreciate you guys having me. Any any parting thoughts or, or words of wisdom before the Bearcats play Houston at 3.30 on ABC this week? I would just say, and I've, I've tried to write about this a couple of times too, um, I really hope Cincinnati fans are enjoying this. I know everyone's, you know, looking ahead and they want to win a conference championship and, you know, be in that college football playoff discussion at the end of the year. But, you know, if you're a UC fan, you have the sixth ranked team in the country and, you know, your former coach slash soon to be Senator of Alabama, like that, that was not that long ago. So, uh, you know, uh, enjoy the situation you're in. What's that like? Happiness is found along the way, not at the end of the road. You know, enjoy the journey. That. Just enjoy exactly. the journey. This is what it's We're all on about. ABC primetime Saturday. We get a 3.30 kickoff. You get to accomplish your chores during the middle of the day and watch a primetime football game. What is there not to be excited about? Well, you when you, that's the right, that's the right uh, mindset to have. When you come on the podcast, Justin, a lot of people listen. So I'm going to ask this final question. It's not even for you to answer, though. It's a rhetorical question that I want folks to write into us on because I'm curious. Name a school that has, I guess, a more exciting coaching situation for their football and basketball teams. Who, who in the nation is more excited about the combination of their basketball and football programs than, this, than the University of Cincinnati? Does Iona have a football team? <laughs> They're pumped. <laughs> no, it's a good, it's a good question. And yeah, it's, you know, sometimes it's hard for me. I'm sure there's an answer out there. Um, and, and I'm obviously a lot more focused on Cincinnati. Um, but I, I don't think it's an unfair question to ask. That's for sure. I, I think we're on the short list in terms of, if you look at it from a, you know, cause you're, some people would make the argument, well, Nick Saban is so dominant in football that exceeds whatever basketball shortcomings that have. If you're someone who cares about both the product of football and basketball, who are you more excited about at this point? Yep. Write it into us. Tell me on Twitter. I'll, I, I'm curious. I want to. I want to hear the nominations. It's certainly you know maybe Notre Dame. I'll, there's other names to be said. I'm not going to float them all out here now. But Justin, again, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, sleep well. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. See you, Justin. Thank you. See you.